0: everyone it's um really good to see you thank you so much for the invitation to come and uh, share god's word with you this evening hazel are you doing the are you clicking them forward for me you say okay cool thank okay. not too technical tonight so we should be able... i think um a lot of you probably know that i grew up and spent most of my life on a, a farm and um so we were, uh, I, I was born up in Mid-Devon, and then we moved down. I was about 11 to a farm near uh, Bobmin in Cornwall, where I spent much of my life. And uh, then latterly we moved up the road about three miles to Land Hydrock, where we farmed until we, we gave up, and I came up here uh, to Plymouth uh, to, to serve the Lord here. And um, it was a, a dairy farm. And so actually, our, our biggest, most important crop of the year was grass. Um, and we every sort of May time as we got into May would start to think about mileage making, and. Um you may b- well be be familiar with seeing the the sights and the sounds of that and probably getting annoyed with the tractors and trailers that are rumbling up the road in front of you when you're in a hurry um but it was a big time on our farm especially the first cut of silage was always critical to um, to bring the silage in and you know the big silage clamps where it would all be washed away and covered with a sheet and tires to keep it until uh the the winter to feed the cows and um When you get used to it, you you kind of know how it's going by the sound. Even if I wasn't on the team making the silage, you could hear the hum of the forager um, from a long way away. Once it started up, it was always a good noise. A bit like a a sort of bee going somewhere. It would just sort of hum and drone away. And you knew then, as long as it was making that noise, things were were going well. Um, What you always feared as a, a farmer, of course, was breakdowns. As one old farmer said, if you've got two bits of iron, one of them will break and um that was always the issue that you faced as the um day unfolded was uh, if anything was going to break or snap or puncture or something and um if you were a, uh, you can see on the picture the forager going and uh, my dad used to drive the forager very often certainly when i was younger and then um i might have been on a tractor and trailer driving in and out switching with the other tractors and trailers carting the the grass into the farmyard And if you drove into the field to get your next load and saw Dad stopped, your heart always sort of flipped a bit because um, you wondered what had gone wrong uh, if there was something that had happened. Um, But every so often towards the end of the day, he'd stop when there was nothing wrong. Um, well nothing too major anyway and you see that he'd gone around to the back of the friger and he'd started to use the sharpening button on the blades because inside the drum at the bottom of the spout that you can see, the, you know, it starts with a roller that pulls it in and then it goes through this drum where big uh, steel blades about, yeah, about that big, probably four inches across and, and uh, around on a, a drum that was spinning at an incredible speed and those knives would cut the grass from being you know this long or whatever it was down to something that was comfortable for the cows to eat to encourage them to eat well in the winter so maybe cutting it down to, to two or three inches uh, and those blades were a lot of the noise and um, and it used to incredible thing really and it would suck through and it caused a draft that then sent it up out of the spout and into the trailer and um as the day wore on, those big steel blades would gradually blunt as and tons and tons of grass went through them. And Dan would stop because he'd sense the machine wasn't running as well as it had been. And, um, and for 10 minutes or so, he'd be out with a grinding sort of stone that was built into it to put an edge back onto those blades and uh, to get it back to it so that it was running efficiently and well. So um, if that was all it was, and you thought to yourself, that's just sharpening the machine, that was all right. Um, nothing too major, and we could go on again um, with the day. It's good, isn't it, sometimes to stop and sharpen? Um, I think our faith needs that sometimes. It certainly does. Um, things can blunt as, as life takes its toll. And um, just the routine of life and the things that we do day after day and month after month and year after year, I, and back um, during the summer, I had um, four verses that came to me, four phrases, if you like, um, that were to do with me sharpening my own faith and my own life before the Lord, and um I've kind of pulled them into to, to something that I can share with you. So it's kind of personal tonight, things that God had been saying to me. Uh, and things actually, I suppose, now, well, we're in October, aren't we? How did that happen? It was only July a minute ago. Um, yeah, the, over the weeks, um, I've kind of had to come back to a bit as well to see what I'm doing. That's the thing with God's Word, isn't it? You can't just listen, can you? And go, oh, that was a lovely message, and go home um, when God's Word's working. We've got to do stuff with it. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? (laughs) But we do. We have to do stuff with what God is saying to us and teaching us. And so in May tonight, I'm going to share four phrases with you. And maybe just one of them, I don't know, will help you with with sharpening your own life uh, and walk with the Savior. And um, uh, maybe more than one, I don't know. But uh, allow God to do with it what he wants. That's the important thing but maybe there'll be something useful to you. So if you have a a Bible, um, the first phrase is going to pop up for us on the screen. That was a subtle hint there. Well well picked up, yeah. (laughs) And um, we're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. And we'll start reading uh, uh, verse 5. This moment is just addressing young men, but anyway, we'll, we'll pick up where, it, where it's at. Uh, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, all of us now, clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And you have noticed our little phrases in verse 5. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility. Clothe yourselves. Well, in the, the general sense just checking around yeah that's that's something you've all all managed to master as far as I can tell and much to my relief if I'm honest that I'm guessing at some stage this morning is you stumbled out of bed and um late late for Richard of course he was on holiday but um you will have got out and you will have chosen some clothes um to wear for the day maybe your Sunday going to church best clothes who knows um but, but you will have put on something that you can wear into the day we're used to that routine on any day that we forget to do that it's going to be a bad day isn't it you know but um just bring that now to to God's word and what it's saying and this really has stuck with me and I've tried to make this a habit I'm not going to say that I've done it every day but before I even clothe my body with clothes um before I'm out of bed actually I'm trying to bring this phrase to mind in my life to clothe myself with humility Literally, at a start of the day, this is how I want to start my days, okay? Before we get to clothes, breakfast and everything else, um, to clothe ourselves with humility. Now, that doesn't mean putting ourselves down, but remembering who we are in Christ right at the start of the day. And I'm trying to do this by kind of naming who I am, remembering who I am, that I'm a sinner saved by grace. Which is humbling up and uplifting all at once, isn't it? I remembered, uh, is it Tim, Tim Keller, the, the late Tim Keller that puts it, I'm more sinful than I could possibly imagine and more loved than I could possibly know. Right at the start of the day. And so it brings me down a little bit because I'm remembering that by nature I'm a sinner, but immediately it lifts me up because I'm saved by grace. And I remember at the start of the day that I'm a child of God, that I'm part of his creation, part of uh, who he's made, and that I'm designed to be dependent on him, to be leaning on him moment by moment through the coming day, that without him I can't do anything, that I'm a, a servant of God. And that I want to put his will and his ways first in my life. And acknowledge to myself as I clothe myself with humility. That his will, his ways, his plans are better than what I could think of anyway. And then I remind myself that anything I do today is for his glory and not for mine. And that I'm a vessel of the Holy Spirit. That God lives in me. And again, anything that I can do that is going to be worth anything in this coming day will only be what God does through me. And all of this, if you like, brings me down a peg. Because I've realized already that I don't depend on myself. That um, I, I can't do anything worthy myself. That I, I shouldn't get any glory myself. But as it brings me down, because I'm in Christ and I'm exalting him, it lifts me up as well at the start of the day. As I clothe myself with this attitude of remembering who I am in Jesus, and and then actually the verse says this: uh, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. So actually, then I remember that everyone I meet today is someone made in the image of God. Yes, marred and knocked around by sin, but made in His image. It is someone that I am called to be a servant of, to love to value, and to see the worth within them. And so, even as I lie in my bed, I'm seeking to learn to do this practically day by day, to clothe myself in humility, to remember who I am and who others are and who Christ is. Uh, and then it just helps me to, to center myself um, and be ready for the day. It's a good place to start, isn't it? To humble ourselves. It's where, if you're a Christian tonight, and I believe you are, I don't know you all, but gathered here around the Lord's table, um, if you are, then you will have known that that's where your Christian journey started, with humility. You know, somebody will say you need to admit that you're a sinner, that you need salvation, that you can't save yourself. You need Jesus to save you. Uh, and that's where our Christian adventure, our Christian life starts, with that admission of humility. And actually, that's a good place for our day to start as well, with our admission that we need Christ moment by moment. So that's the first one. Um, turn back with me then, if you were, to Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. And depending on which version you got, it might be phrased slightly differently. But we'll, um, we'll read chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. And it says this. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. That's how the IV phrases it. Uh, the ESV, where I read it first of all, um, instead of se- uh, saying continue to live in him, actually says walk in him. Walk in him. So having set who I am at the beginning of the day and seek to sharpen myself in that way. This is the second one then as I head into the day, to seek to walk in Christ. To walk in Christ. To spend the day with him to have that ongoing relationship with him moment by moment, as rooted and built up in him, so now to continue in him, to walk along through the day with Jesus, come what may, to be aware of him, to abide in him, to listen to him, to serve him, to praise him, to thank him, to worship him as I head through my day, to have that awareness of Christ with me. Do you need to sharpen your walk, your walk with Christ? Do you you find yourself easily maybe just giving God little bits of the day um, here and there instead of really seeking to live the day with him and walking with Christ through the day? Back in the Old Testament, this was uh, important. Let me just read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, I think it's repeated in chapter 11 as well. But Deuteronomy 6, read uh, from verse 5, it says this. Well, verse 4, we'll get the paragraph. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on the children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Interesting, isn't it? These commands of God that were so central to the life of the people of Israel, to God's people, that that God said, just keep talking about them. As you're walking along, be talking about them. As you're sitting with your friends, be talking about them. And if you need reminders, tie them on your wrists and on your forehead. Just carry carry them with you. Have an awareness with you moment by moment that you are God's and that his ways are important. Go through this life with an awareness of God with you. And I wonder if sometimes we need to just sharpen our walk a bit and remember that we're in constant fellowship with him, constant connection. But sometimes we forget to acknowledge it. Then my, my third phrase. Um, this one, I, you can turn it like it's only one verse. Uh, well, I'll read two again. I've set a precedent for that now. So R- Romans chapter 1, this is. Romans chapter 1. And there's some very famous words of the Apostle Paul. Yeah, and in these couple of verses. Romans 1 verse 16. And it says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Live by faith. Let me ask you something. We've had some great questions tonight. Thank you, Lawson. Let me ask you another one. How much would your life change if God didn't do anything? I I don't mean in the big scheme of getting you to heaven and forgiving your sins. I just mean day to day. If God didn't show up tomorrow, how much would it affect your life and the way that you live? If God didn't show up today or hadn't shown up today in uh, great parks, how much would have it affected your services that you've had and, and the life of the, the church that you've had today. It's ever so easy to settle, isn't it? To live within our comfort zones. Um, do you know how you know if you're living by faith? It's when you go to do something, if God doesn't turn up, you fall flat on that face. You're you're at that point. Sorry, if I step away from the mic, that instead of just standing beside something, you're actually leaning on it so heavily that if it went, you're you're gone. That that takes faith, doesn't it? It did creak a bit then, actually, as if to make my point. Um, uh, do you know what I mean? I can walk with God, and that's fellowship. But to walk dependent on God, that's faith where you're actually trusting him and you're thinking, Lord, I'm stepping into this because I believe you've caught me and if you're not there, this is all going to go badly wrong because I'm leaning so heavily on you that I'm going to fall if you aren't there. It's being out of our, our depth with God. It, it's doing stuff for, for God that... Um, means that we're not sort of stepping back from the battle that is out there we're not stepping into the sort of the safe places where we know actually we can get through today and it'll kind of be okay because it always has been okay when i've done this um it's living by faith with a real sense of placing god in the middle of our day to such an extent that we're trusting him moment by moment And let's be honest, it's ever so easy for a church to get comfortable, to go through a routine. You know, we have our rotas and our plans and our diary and we kind of plan out what we're going to do. And we're going to do this because that's what we do on this Sunday of the month or whatever. And, you know, musicians can play the notes in the right order and leaders can give out the notices. Well, actually, most leaders can't give out the notices in order, but you know what I mean. You know, we, we kind of um, can, can go through and, and, and get things done and, and then we all say, oh, that was nice and go home. Um, we can pretty much do that without God, can't we, if we're honest? You know, Kath can play with her without God. She's just naturally brilliant on a keyboard, you know. And um, you can all sing with or without God. But if we want God to move, if we want to meet here with the living God, if we want the Holy Spirit to take words that a preacher or someone is sharing and actually change people's lives, we need God for that. That is stepping into the world of faith. That is in the place when actually musicians aren't just playing the right notes in the right order, but they're playing in such a way that it's helping lead us all into worship and praise that's when the people looking after the Sunday school aren't just entertaining the kids, but they're sharing their hearts and their love for the Savior and praying for them that God will move. And in these things, we're so dependent on God, there is nothing I can do tonight to change your life in any way to have any effect on you that will last until you get to the other side of that door, unless God shows up. And when we're aware of that, when we're leaning into that, with them, we are doing a work of faith right there. We are pressing into God and saying literally, God, if you don't show up, this is all for nothing. And we're all going to fall flat. It's that connection with God, that dependency on God, moment by moment, so that leaders can lead with vision, so that people can have conversations with others, not just in church, but out there in the world, that aren't just nice conversations, but are God-inspired conversations, that say words that are just for that moment, that can speak into someone's mind. And somebody can almost say to us, how did you know that? You know those moments? That's God, isn't it? That, that's living by faith. That's trusting in him with who we meet and what we say and where we go and what we do. To step out in imbe- obedience when God calls us to do something, not really knowing what, what, how this is going to go. We haven't been this pathway before. And sensing that God is leading us as churches, to evangelize effectively, to pray effectively, to preach effectively, to serve effectively. All of these things, if they're going to be fruitful and eternal, have to be God-inspired and and God-resourced if they're going to make any difference. A.W. Tozer put it a lot better than I have like this. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Because they live by faith. With that awareness, that, that immediacy of God's presence of needing him. And it's not just church, but it's how we're, we're husbands and wives and sons and daughters and, uh, and grandparents and, uh, and children. To do all of life in our workplaces and in our offices and going for the shopping, but with this awareness of walking with Christ and living by faith, trusting in him to seek his guidance, to help us through trials. It's going out of our depth and, and trusting God. Day by day, and then lastly, if you're following in the Bible, we're we're back to Revelation this time, and maybe for me the most challenging of the Revelation chapter two. So um, the context here is that Jesus is writing letters to churches. And um, I don't know how I feel about him doing this to Plimstot Chapel, where, uh, where I go, or how you feel about this if, uh, if a letter dropped through a letter box from the Lord. I'm giving you a little review on how you're doing. And um, yeah, it'd be a bit scary opening that one, wouldn't yeah. it? Well, it was for the Ephesians as well, but let's, re- let's just read the beginning of it. So, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, who are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name, and have not grown weary, so far, so good. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you were fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lamps down from its place. And we'll leave it there for a moment. And so, our, our fourth bit, if you like, of uh, our fourth phrase of our sharpening process is this one that we love as at first. I was at a wedding. What's today? Hey, a week ago, yesterday, and um, a friend of mine was getting married up in mid Devon, and I had the privilege of just sharing God's word briefly, um, briefly at that service. And it's always the thing if you've been uh, who's been to a wedding this year. Some of you, yeah, yeah. Um, and you do that thing that you look at them especially if you're married and if you've been married a while and you see all the you know the love and the romance and you're thinking yeah reality will strike soon and um you can't help it can you um knowing what is to come and of course one of the things that um we often say to people uh, as they get married is, is about looking after their love for each other amongst all the pressures of life and all the things that are going to happen because we're aware that in the humdrum of life you know it's not the the wedding day or the honeymoon the first couple of months back it's When life hits further along and things crash in and um, there's pressures from work and maybe there's kids to look after and things, and um, we all need reminding, don't we, Uh, those of us that are married, to to look after that love that we have because we know that love can grow cold, that we can actually lose that somewhere in the middle of everything else. And that's certainly true of our love for God as well. I find these words in a way amazing that they were written to the Ephesians. Uh, Paul had already written to the Ephesians in the Bible, and he, he said this to them, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Do you get that? Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote like half the New Testament, is writing to this church. And commending them on their love for all their saints and the, uh, for all the saints and their faith in Christ. And I mean, it's recorded in the Bible. How cool is that? When you loved a letter to Great Parks? where well, that's you know by the Apostle Paul commended you, and it went into the Bible, that it was there forever. Your love for each brother being commended, and people would read it and study it and think, "Wow, what would it have been like to be in Great Parks? You know, how cool would that be? That happened to the church in Ephesus. The Apostle Paul commending them for the way they loved each other and their faith in God. And he went on to write, I mean, mean, Shakespeare's got nothing on, on some of what Paul writes in this book to them. I mean, it's beautiful, isn't it? Praying for them, that, that having started in love, that they grow in their knowledge of it. This is the Apostle Paul writing Holy Scripture to this church about the very subject of love. And a few years later, Jesus speaks to this church and says, guys, if you don't get your love sorted out, I'm closing you down. And it wasn't that they weren't doing anything else. He commended them on their hard work, their perseverance. They were a church that was under real pressure and and pain. They were being persecuted. And they were working hard, standing up against evil, making sure they didn't get led astray in their doctrine. They were keeping going despite it all. And Jesus said, I will shut you down if you don't get your love sorted out. If you don't you love me like you did at first. One of the most famous passages. In fact, um, last Saturday, um, my, my friends had 1 Corinthians 13 read. Do you know it? 1 Corinthians 13. If I have the tongues of men and of angels, but have not loved. Do you remember that? Yeah. I don't know why people have it at their weddings. It's so hard hitting. I go for something a bit softer myself. But anyway, people keep doing it. So um, yeah, uh, it's up to them to think it through what it says. Okay, just a little, last five minutes, a little bit of interaction. How many of you drive? Hand up, yeah. How many of you, okay, have ever put the wrong fuel in a car? Diesel for petrol, petrol for diesel. We've got a few. Now, I haven't done it yet. Um, my, my best friend did it, and he said it was one of the most irritating things he's ever done in his life, just in that moment of not concentrating fully, and he filled it right up, and then had to pay for that, which really galled him. And then he had to get weight then, and get a a mechanic out to drain the tank, and then fill it with the right stuff, and then pay for that as well. And he said just for that moment of not focusing, it cost him I don't know how much money. And... um, and how much time. So he did say it's one of the most irritating things he's, he's ever done. <laughs> I, and, and that's the problem. It, it doesn't matter if you've got, you know, you know a, a V8 Lamborghini, does it? if it's there and you might have all the gadgets in it you might have the tires on it and you might have the engine it might all be ammoed and you might have all the tech in the car you know and you're connected and everything else i don't know what richard drives it, it is something like that but you know that kind of feel that you're sat in this car and everything about it is lovely and working and great but if the fuel is wrong it's a chicken coop isn't it basically it's good for nothing You've just got to push it off the, of the court and sit there beside it. And when it comes to our walk with the Lord, you get this. You can have all the hard work, the evangelism, the programs. You can watch your doctrine. You can stand against it. You can do all of that. But if the love is wrong, if you motivated the fuel in the tank that drives the thing, if you're motivated by the wrong thing, it's worthless. Worthless. Jesus says, I just shut it down. That's what Corinthians says, isn't it? Have you read those verses? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if I, if I sacrifice my life in the flames, if I give everything I have to the poor, poor, sorry, it's all worth nothing. Nothing. Do you know when Jesus talked about salt, that's lost its saltiness being thrown out into the dirt it, it's good for... Nothing. Same Greek word. Same Greek word. It's dirt. It's nothing. It's no wonder, is it, that we need to stop and sharpen ourselves sometimes and just make sure we love the Lord like we always did. Remember that when you first knew Him? When you first understood what He'd done for you? When you maybe first took communion as a Christian and thought of His body broken for you and His blood poured out? And Maybe there's a joy in your heart that you can shut up about Jesus because he changed your life. forgiven your sin, you had, where there was despair, you had hope. Where there was anxiety, you had peace. Where there was sorrow, you had joy. Your life had turned around and you sang songs of worship because they just spilled out of you and and you couldn't shut up talking about jesus with others because he's the most important thing in your life and your heart just bubbled up every time you came to church because you got to be with other worshipers and you just were in the scripture all the time because you never read it like this before and you're reading it and stuff's jumping off the page to you and you're seeing jesus and understanding jesus and loving jesus and looking forward to praying just that you can be with jesus and then five years go by, and ten years go by, and twenty years go by, and maybe more than that. And we stop and ask ourselves, do I love him like I did at first? Is my heart just bursting with love for Jesus? And maybe tonight another question you need to ask is this, what do I need to do just to fall in love with Jesus again? See, the difficult thing is when we put aside all of our work for him and everything we know about him and our church attendance and everything else, we just put all that on one side. It's all important, but we're just putting it to one side for a moment. What happens when it's just you and Jesus? Do you love him? Not even, this is dangerous, I know, but put aside for a second what he's done for you and just focus on him. Do you love him with all your heart and soul? Oh, we've sung a wonderful hymn tonight, but we've got to be careful, haven't we? Yeah. Or to Jesus I surrender. Or to him I freely give. I wonder if that's driven really in our hearts by love and by passion for him. Oh, let us feel the sacred flame once again that we may love him. That we may know him Like we did at first Probably didn't know our Bibles as well as we do now Hadn't heard as many good sermons Hadn't read as many books But our hearts just bubbled up with joy At the sound of his name Well The moment would come when my dad had finished Sharpening the forager And he climbed back in the cab and Uh, put it all back in gear and let the handbrake off and we were off on harvest again. Now running a little bit faster, a little bit smoother, a little bit more efficiently as we headed off for the rest of the day. And this is our chance, isn't it? Just to come and say, Lord, do I just need to sharpen my life, to clothe myself in humility, to remember who I am before you, but who I am in Christ, to walk closer with you. To live by faith and make sure I'm not just in a routine of doing what I always do. But rather just treating tomorrow as a day when God may do amazing things in your life if you trust him. Making sure that we love him like he has called us to. Do you know the great thing about today? It's the first day of the rest of your life. It's a moment when you can sharpen and, and then get going again. Um, God hasn't closed us down by his grace and by his patience he's given us today and who knows if Jesus hasn't come maybe he'll give us tomorrow as well and in these things we can just step forward in our Christian lives and walk with him let's pray shall we so father we just thank you for your word we thank you that it can come into our lives with power and Remind us, Lord, of things that are very precious and very important. Lord, you know us. You know we get distracted. You know that we get stuck in a rut sometimes. You know that sometimes, Lord, other things crowd into our lives and take away the focus of what is important. And so tonight, Lord, we've just paused for a little while around your word together. And we've realized the importance of some of these basic things. And Lord, if we need to be sharpened in these areas, then tonight we pray that you will speak to us and your Holy Spirit will keep your word in our hearts so that, Lord, we may finish today well and start tomorrow well and seek to walk with you into whatever you have for us. And Lord, for, as we're gathered around your table tonight for not loving you enough, Lord, we repent, we confess, and pray, as the hymn writer said, O light the flame within my heart, that I may love thee more and more, until I see thee as thou art. Lead us on, Lord, we pray, in Jesus' name.